0: Broadcasting from the Unshackled Studios in Melbourne. This is Wilmsfront. Brought to you by the unshackled.net. Now here's Tim Wilms.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Wilmsfront featured featured interview show. Today it is Thursday, the tenth of March, 2022. It is 8:30 p.m. Here in Melbourne, Victoria, we are live for this episode on the Unshackled Facebook page, the Wilms Front D Live channel, and the Wilms Front Odyssey channel. This is because both Wilms Front Unshackled YouTube channels remain on two strikes, and one more strike on either of those channels means that uh, the channel is perma deleted, including all the content. Uh, I also had a malfunction with my main camera tonight so I'm back doing just the the webcam uh, tonight Uh, but uh, I know I've had trouble with the the audio in previous shows but that seems to have smoothed itself up so as long as I have one in two I guess I'm going okay. Now given tonight I want to have a factual and rational discussion about uh, both the real and uh, concocted crises that are Crippling the world on new fronts and cut through the latest uh, alarm and hysteria. Uh, we know that YouTube doesn't like those type of discussions. So probably best, uh, we're not there. We are, uh, even though we're live on a another big tech platform Facebook, they seem to be less censorous uh, these days. Uh, but uh, now it's time to introduce uh, my uh, featured guest, who is uh, one of Australia's uh, deepest thinkers, uh, is a great historical knowledge base and an honest intellectual, Dr. Stephen uh, Chavura. Uh, he teaches uh, European and Australian history at uh, Campion College, which is a Catholic faith-based liberal arts college. Stephen, welcome to Wilmfront. Thanks
0: so much, Tim. It's great to be on. I'm just actually uh, trying to uh, stop an invasion at the moment of a cat uh, onto my desk. So hopefully she uh, doesn't uh, try to ruin all this. She's nearly knocked over my tripod, but okay, seems to be okay now.
1: I'm actually allergic to cats, uh, but as far as I know, uh, I can't uh, get... uh, an allergy through uh, the internet at this, t- no, at this time yet. i don't know what if there's some sort of uh, a virus that could develop
0: well who knows who knows what uh, the americans are working on in china or uh the ukraine
1: i guess we'll find out yeah. what's in those bio labs <laughs> they've abandoned <laughs> Uh, so uh, you're a uh, you've been an academic uh, most of your uh, adult life. I, I mentioned that uh, uh, Campion College at say a lot of people might not have, have heard of it. Uh, that uh, there there is this uh, uh, faith based uh, liberal uh, arts college. Uh, is is the college back to face to face learning? In, you in New South Wales. It sure is.
0: Um, while many other universities have basically kicked students off campus and relegated them to uh, Zoom, uh, Zoom lectures, um, at Campion, uh, we have face-to-face lectures, and that is part of our philosophy. Uh, we generally don't do online. We believe in the, the full formation of character, which involves coming onto campus and being part of the community. So I can absolutely say we have face-to-face lectures
1: and uh, there's is there any masks on campus i assume they're not mandated but is there a few here and there oh uh, there are some there are some rooms where
0: um masks are worn but basically uh, you know, when you walk around the campus, you see you see faces. Uh, so it's 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 a fantastic place to teach. And as you said, it's sort of got a sort of a, a Catholic ethos, and it's it's a liberal arts college based on sort of American liberal arts colleges. So if you come to Campion, uh, you'll basically spend three years studying history, philosophy, languages, literature, uh, and theology, and some science actually,
1: and uh, uh... I think both our audiences uh, are curious how uh, like what, what's the fee uh, structure because it's not a university, it's a liberal arts college. So is it part of the help hex uh, system or is it a upfront fee? Uh, you
0: can actually get fee help at Campion college. I'm, I'm happy to say.
1: And uh, it's a, uh, does it come with uh, like? Obviously, we have uh, faith-based schools that receive uh, government funding, like primary and secondary schools, and that's a, mm. a topic that we'll get into about the conditions that are being being put on that. But uh, is there conditions on on uh, having government uh, government assistance to a, a faith-based higher education body?
0: Well, generally, uh, tertiary institutions don't get any uh, regular government funding. So they're actually not like uh, the high schools. Uh, They're almost all private. And Campion is private as well. But recently, we did actually get some government grants uh, totaling to $17 million to build a, a huge new academic wing. And so we're pretty excited about that. It'll be a new library as well. Uh, in terms of uh, sort of being tethered to any conditions re- regarding what we teach or our
1: ethos, absolutely none whatsoever. Oh, that's good to hear. Now you've yeah. been in the what you'd sort of call the establishment legacy uh, university system. I was watching one of your your old videos on your your YouTube channel. One of the things I do uh, before I interview guests, I a guest as I sort of binge watch. Uh, all their, their, their old uh, uh, videos and previous appearances. So I watched you uh, on uh, conversations with John Anderson and on Joel Jamal's channel. <laughs> I, I I learned that you're previously with uh, Macquarie uh, University, which is yeah. it's a, one of the, the big ones in, in New South Wales and obviously yeah. va- vastly different uh, uh, culture, and uh, uh, academic environments compared to, to Campion. What was it like being uh, the, the unashamed with the with your uh, views on on history and obviously uh, faith as well.
0: Uh, Look, I mean, I I was, yeah, I was at Macquarie for 11 years. And prior to that, I was at Western Sydney University for five years, uh, teaching in the areas of social and political philosophy. And they were just, they were fantastic jobs. Uh, But at the end of the day, it was pretty obvious to me that those jobs were never going to lead to a permanent tenured position, which is sort of the the coveted thing that all academics want. They all want to get tenure, which is basically a permanent academic job. And it became pretty clear to me, you know, about five or six years into my time at Macquarie University, that although they were happy to have uh, me on uh, sort of uh, uh, yearly uh, contracts and and lecturing and and doing everything that's involved in that, it became pretty clear to me that they were never going to put me on as a full-time faculty member. Um, And I've got to be careful about how I talk about that. Um, You know, uh, I suppose what I can say is... um, I did actually lodge, I did lodge a um, a uh, a protest uh, to our dean at the time when I missed out on a particular position, and I did think that I had been uh, treated unfairly uh, from a procedural point of view, uh, but that went absolutely nowhere. Uh, But at that point, I can't remember exactly what year that was. That would have been about 2012, 2013. At that point, I realized that I was not going to have any permanent place at Macquarie University. Um, And uh, look, everything's been okay since then anyway. Um, I've got this great job at Campion College. But like in all honesty, um, I I loved working at Macquarie. I had some fantastic colleagues, great students. Same at Western Sydney University. Yeah, you know, something in hindsight, I had enemies too. Um, although I can just say with a clear conscience, I never treated anyone uh, with any kind of disrespect. Um, and I was just, I tried to be friends with, with everyone. Uh, but, you know, uh, universities are pretty nasty. They can be very, very nasty places, particularly among early career uh, academics. Um, who are very much out to stab one another in the back and to undermine one another uh, so that, you know, to make sure that they will get, you know, the few sort of your job that come along. Uh, and I'm not saying that that happened to me, uh, but it, it, it is evident in hindsight that there were definitely people on staff that didn't want me to be there. But that's life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just to explain to our audience, uh, a tenured academic, uh, they have the security of their uh, position means that uh, they have more leeway in well, speak, speak, speaking to the, the media or uh, other sort of public. Uh, they're, they're allowed to be more sort of controversial without sort of fear of their job being threatened, is sort of the basic gist of it.
0: Yeah, well, in theory, anyone can say whatever they like, whether you're tenured or not. But the difference between being tenured or not is, as you say, Tim, uh, if you say something controversial, uh, I mean, for example, I, 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 I was a, a public, I mean, I, I don't know if it's right to call myself a public opponent of same-sex marriage, even though I did oppose it. But nothing I wrote about it was was on so much on same-sex marriage per se. Um, but I, I, mean, I was publicly a, a, a political conservative, a, a Christian conservative. I spoke at Christian, de, uh, Christian Democratic Party meetings, uh, rest in peace. Uh, I spoke at Australian Christian lobby conferences. And so I was sort of known at, as that. Um, the difference is, yeah, uh, if I had tenure, then that couldn't really have been used against me to, to make sure that I, I sort of lost my job, um, So in theory, you you can say whatever you want either way, but tenure kind of protects you. Uh, And I didn't have that protection. And I knew I didn't have that protection, uh, but that was a decision I made many, many years ago. In fact, uh, very soon once I got into academia, 20 years ago this year, actually, I decided that I wasn't going to lay low and keep quiet. I wasn't going to be unnecessarily provocative either, but I I, I wasn't going to lay low and keep quiet. And if there were things that I could do uh, for for the Christian community for churches uh, with the talents that God has given me I would do them because I knew that if I decide to lay low until I got an a, a tenured academic job Tim that job might not come for 10 or 15 years and so there's 10 or 15 years where I'm just I'm laying low not using my gifts to their full benefits. And then when you get your tenure job, what are you supposed to do then? Hey, presto, everyone, I'm a political Christian conservative. It doesn't really work that way. you probably tend actually to keep lying low. And I just made the decision I wasn't going to do that. And to be honest, you know, um, the Lord has, has honoured that, has, has blessed that. And, and my wife and I have done very well over the years. I really regret nothing, to be honest.
1: Uh, I'm like you I could never I find it hard to bite bite my tongue I mean look at what I'm doing look at what uh, you're doing Uh, I noticed on your uh, socials today you shared an old photo of yourself as a Christian Democrats candidate with your it's like I know that that's your real hair but in this age of uh, like Trump hair it looks like a wig but that's what you used to look like Well,
0: even for the time, it was pretty out there, uh, and and everyone has been correctly pointing out that I look like uh, Alfred E. Newman, the uh, the uh, Mad Magazine character. But that that's a pretty old reference, and a lot of Zoomers and millennials might not get that, but. Uh, yes that that indeed was me Uh, i like that photo as i said in the facebook post because it's one of the few photos where my my own my late father's features are clearly standing out in my face so that's one of the reasons why i actually like the photo but i also put it up for a bit of a laugh because the fact is i do look kind of ridiculous there but that's okay (laughs)
1: yeah i mean i had a bit a bit of a a chuckle of it as well yeah yeah which was yeah (laughs) Uh, now first i don't take myself too seriously uh, i first came across your writing on on cauldron pool when it was was up and coming in it was around about the time of the 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 same sex marriage postal yeah. survey that's what it ended up uh and ended up being as uh, and uh there was i don't know the the Sort of originals. There was you, Rod Lampard, and obviously uh, uh, Ben Davis, uh, the uh, the editor and and founder. Uh, but uh, over the past uh, two years, well, it's, it's hard to stay quiet with the the COVID uh, madness and well, the the crushing of our of our freedoms and liberties. There's no way that to describe it. Uh, uh, people. Uh, people need to to speak out more, and so you've become a personality activist. Uh, uh, gained a following of uh, of your own. You've spoken at uh, Sydney freedom rallies. Your your Instagram and and Telegram has a a large uh, following uh, now, and yeah, it, it's your. You're, you're unafraid to talk about any of the uh the the things that uh, the the big tech uh doesn't want us to talk about uh, uh whether it's the 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 stats about uh, the actual stats about uh covid infections uh with from those those sorts of things and obviously uh, the the jabs and the fact that none of the, as they're called, MPIs, non pharmaceutical interventions, they, they they, well the the actual truth that we knew is starting to come out now that they didn't work, in fact made things worse. Yeah, and 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 also yeah, adverse side
0: effects. Um, that's something I've been um, really vocal about. Um, but yeah, I mean, how, how could I not? Say anything when I I saw friends of mine uh, getting serious adverse reactions from these vaccines, uh, but having to take them uh, so they could hold on to their jobs. I mean, you you just can't stay silent when you see that happening. And my key critique has never really been the vaccines per se, although I think it's clear now that we were led up the garden path um, about the vaccines. I don't think that they're as safe as, um, yeah, they're not as safe as we were led to believe. And in fact, even the the very, very level-headed British doctor, John Campbell, has just released a video um, Mm -hmm. in terms of adverse reactions. They were not as safe as we were led to believe, and they certainly were not as effective uh, long-term as we were led to believe. Um, And so, of course, I was speaking out against that because people were losing their jobs based on, quite frankly, misinformation about the efficacy and safety of these vaccinations.
1: And I'm from uh, Victoria. So I have in the city of Melbourne, so I've lived through the, the world's uh, longest lockdown, uh, including that uh, the well, say first extended lockdown here in the, the second half of, of, of 2020. And most of Australia was able to live uh, relatively, okay compared to what we were going through at the time you would have been watching on uh in horror and there was a sort of a a, a, yeah. a, a as we entered 2021 with the vaccines rolling out that this was the beginning of the end uh, there's apparently the 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 when it's called the beginning of the end now, but we don't know that uh, for sure. And there was also this sort of political narrative that, oh, lockdowns and outbreaks only happen in Victoria, uh, the gold standard Gladys in New South Wales. She would, which well, she said, we'd never lock down again. And yep. well, look what happened in uh, late late June twenty uh, twenty one, and. I saw the the New South Wales police giving well uh, uh, the Victoria police uh, a run for its money, and then that's w- that's when basically uh, the to it was sold basically to to get back to, to normal. Uh, enough of you need to be vaccinated, and if you if you're part of that, that's not, then you're going to be. Excluded. It was basically that uh, there is no. There's the new normal is real, and that's all that we're promising you. And we're basically blackmailing you if you get you need to get the jab, or basically we'll keep you on lockdown. That's exactly what it
0: was, um, uh, which which is quite remarkable because it was basically an admission that we are going to force you to take to undergo a medical procedure that in actual fact you do not need. Uh, and why are we going to do it? Well, really there were there were numerous justifications for it, keep the hospitals um, from overflowing protect the most vulnerable. In actual fact, when you when you hold up sort of a, a light to them all, none of them uh, wind up being all that strong. It's almost certainly the case that the, the number of people being uh, declared COVID cases in hospitals was inflated. Uh, we know, for example, in New South Wales, that if someone had COVID 30 days prior to being admitted to hospital for a broken arm, they would be admitted as a COVID case. Now, these things all went into the statistics that um, uh, medical technocrats use to say, "Oh, look at all the COVID cases we have in hospital. We're going to get overrun. We need to keep these lockdowns going." Um, they were probably, they were fr- frankly, uh, you know, um, uh, misleading uh, statistics. But but that's exactly right. Uh, but the amazing thing is that even though it was it was it was it was, it was just plainly said by politicians and, and technocrats that we are keeping everyone in, vaccinated and unvaccinated. Um, until we get to whatever rate they were looking for. At first, it was 80%, then it went to 90%. It's amazing, though, that those who went out and got vaccinated, uh, who then, by by their own understanding and by the the propaganda of technocrats and MPs and the media, they were meant to be safe. If they were meant to be no harm to anyone else, no harm to the system, but they were still locked inside as well. The amazing thing is that those people, instead of turning on the governments and the technocrats unfairly basically saying, why aren't you getting vaccinated? Um, it, it was really quite amazing. And it just showed how skillful the fear and hate mongering campaign from our politicians, our media, our technocrats was. It, it just showed quite frankly, how fragile the social bonds in Australia were. So when you have, I think, the Sunrise Show doing a segment on whether you should have your unvaccinated family members over for Christmas, uh, you had people like Koshy uh, basically putting down people who didn't want to get vaccinated. When you had Anastasia Paluche tweeting, you know, if they're unvaccinated, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag when you had this kind of stuff just being pumped into people's brains, well, it actually stopped people from being able to think critically and say for a second, wait a second, I am actually double vaxxed. I'm supposed to be safe. I'm supposed to be the good citizen. Why aren't I I out? Really, why is the government keeping me in? But instead, they actually turned on their fellow citizens. It was really quite remarkable. Actually, very revealing about Australia. Very revealing. Uh, I think it... I think it... uh, I think a lot of people are going to you know, really question our sort of back patting mateship narrative uh, after these two years. But then again, hey, maybe they won't, because quite frankly, a lot of people weren't all that reflective over the last two years either.
1: And that's why uh, various uh, state governments and, uh, they got away with the, the, the lockdowns and the border closures and why... Daniel Andrews in our upcoming state election here in Victoria in November, it still looks likely to be re elected despite his, uh, well, he managed a public health issue as a, as a, basically a, a police state, a, a police state matter. That's how he, he handled it. But it's, because, like all the polling despite the the darkest of the, the the lockdown periods they were still well especially during the the 2020 extended lockdown uh they were supportive of all of these draconian measures the 5k the the curfew there was a a flip in the middle of 2021 that week where Dan Andrews basically went crazy and said uh you know sunsets you'll get covid there was it, it, there was some level of snap in the Victorian community that this is ridiculous now, and that's why Dan Andrews basically did a backflip from uh, uh, crushing uh, COVID to zero, which meant crushing human rights. To basically, we're going to live with it and and normalize it now. So, and I think it's sort of still progress over over the summer here that, despite record cases and record uh, uh, deaths with COVID with the, the Omicron uh mild variant there, there there hasn't been a lockdown i mean there because it, it wouldn't be sellable anymore that is at least progress but it took a it, it took a lot of basically passive acceptance by the australian people to basically get to the point where they said so they, they said at least for the lockdowns enough
0: yeah absolutely um And that's the thing. I don't think a lot of people would be against another lockdown on the grounds of sort of principles, on the grounds that it's an overextension of government power into our lives and not based on particularly good data or sort of science in the first place. I think a lot of them would just be like, I'm over it. Let's just get on with life. Yes. Uh, I mean, which is fine, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we as a nation have learned any big lessons from from, from the last two years. Um, which is, you know, a bit of a shame. Um, Yeah.
1: Because the reason why these freedom rallies are still important, there's another worldwide freedom rally on March uh, 19th. That's that old expression, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance uh, because uh, they may not try to uh, do it uh, with COVID again, but what is it? We've had that, what is it? I'm sure you're aware of the the new uh ma- the media health scare this this week that Japali- Japanese encephalitis uh, which it's was well, killed uh one person in Victoria and one in New South Wales and I know that there's sort of jokes among like in the comments of like mainstream media stories like oh I better lockdown over this mandate beekeeping uh outfits outside but like it's not actually funny because the precedent has been set uh, that the, the, uh, well, Daniel and Andrews actually said, you have lockdowns when you don't have vaccines. We have a vaccine for this uh, Japanese in, in, infect at us but there's this, there's this feel of dread every time there's some sort of new, uh, uh, new disease or infection that's uh, just going to repeat the disaster.
0: Well... Look, here's the thing. I guarantee you, there is still a sizable number of Australians who would like the, a lot of those, a lot of the restrictions brought back. So, for example, there is little doubt in my mind that locking the unvaccinated out of civil society for the indefinite future, in say um, WA, as Mark McGowan has done, and in uh, in Victoria. I think that might still be the case in Victoria. I'm happy to be corrected, though. Uh, that that is something that's probably quite popular among most people. That they're quite happy for that. Uh, and I, I have also come across people who just don't like the fact that people are walking around without masks. They don't like the fact that in that in New South Wales. Uh, People who didn't get vaccinated uh, are allowed to just go about freely and go wherever they like. I've I've come across these people. Um, There are people that are just neurotic, like it's just part of some people. They have neurotic personalities. Uh, They feel unsafe, Uh, they're afraid. And because they can't get on top of their own phobias and neuroses, well, you know the old saying, those who can't control their own emotions have to control everyone and everything around them, just so they can feel okay. And that's a lot of what, you know, I think what happened during uh, 2020, 2021, and you've still got people around, that, uh, around like that right now. But one key thing, Tim, and I've been saying this really since um, sort of uh, May uh, 2020, I, I sincerely believe that a lot of people found COVID, they found the lockdowns, they found a lot everything about it as as actually quite uplifting. Um, I think a lot of people for the first time in their lives felt that they were part of something big. They were part of a big Australian community again because nationalism uh, isn't as strong as it, as it used to be. Uh, and And in terms of our... Our Australian identity. Well, you know, what is it to be an Australian anymore? We're quite fractured and that kind of thing. But COVID kind of created this sense of solidarity, this sense of almost nationhood again. We're fighting something in common. I think a lot of people actually found that very uplifting, very exciting. I think for a lot of people, it gave their lives tremendous meaning. Uh, I think that's something that also propelled um, basically the massive support. Uh, not just for lockdowns but also quite frankly for the harsh uh, unjust and, and quite despicable treatment of those who chose not to get vaccinated who were derided in all sorts of uh, terms like traitors um, uh, burdens and things like that so I actually think a lot of people just got a sense of meaning, a sense of righteousness self-righteousness, uh, a sense of community, a sense of purpose uh, in our modern, highly individualistic, not particularly thick, meaning-laden society. I I think it was kind of a breath of fresh air for a lot of people. I know it sounds so strange saying that, but I actually do think that 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 is one of the things that's responsible uh, for why politicians were able to do what they did. And, and I think we've got to be careful about, let, about blaming everything on the politicians. Not that you've done that, Tim. But again, one thing I've, I've wanted to stress ever since I started talking about this is that the politicians are responding to the people as well. If the politicians didn't think they had a strong mandate to do all of this, they wouldn't be doing it. But the fact of the matter is who has licensed politicians to do what they're doing? The people themselves, now you could make an argument that the people themselves were made uh, were made uh, f- uh, t- terrified by politicians, the media, and technocrats, and I would agree with that. But we mustn't think that. And you haven't said this, but we we must, in our analysis, not think that politicians have foisted this onto an unwilling population. In fact, our population uh-huh. was, generally speaking, quite supportive of it. Maybe less supporting now. I'm not sure, but certainly it was. And and people like you, Tim, people like me, we were. And those at the freedom rallies, we were pretty much lone voices crying in the wilderness. I can't. I was uh, dobbed on many times by people for attending one particular protest. Um, You know, the politicians had the support of the people
1: throughout most of this. The, the, The 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 people who felt that the pandemic gave them a sense of of purpose. They were were. Were generally the people who could easily work from home, like uh, and uh, work on Zoom, order Uber Eats home delivery, and it was relatively easy for them to, uh, to to basically like stay home, save lives. That was the the simplistic slogan. It was it was easy, like. In an actual physical war, as what's happening in uh, Russia-Ukraine, like uh, bombs and and bullets, uh, they to uh, to deal with those just raining down on well suburbia, for example, uh, it's you no, know, you, you, it's a bit more. You've got to do a bit more. Well, to to basically save save your own life and save uh, the life of others and society, you've got to you've got to put in uh, well, put in a, an effort is uh, putting it mildly. But you can't just sit around watching Netflix in a si- situation like that. And people thought that they were saving saving lives, saving the world through just watching Netflix in the lockdown. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah, and the classic and, and f- frankly every, every time someone tried to facebook frame me and they had this logo on their Facebook fully vaccinated you're welcome as far as I was just concerned psychopath no thanks. I mean anyone who would think that way, you know, fully vaccinated you're welcome, uh, a kind of passive aggressive self-righteous kind of mindset uh, that that just that particular logo embodied so much of the ugliness that came out of so many people during the COVID pandemic, um, but yeah, and 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 you, you had uh, to sort of um, uh, to sort of misappropriate um, Bonhoeffer's cheap grace. Uh, you had cheap righteousness during COVID. Basically, you know, um, stay home, get a jab, get two jabs, and basically you're a good citizen. And in fact, you're not just a good citizen; you're fighting a war. Because you know, um, COVID is our enemy, and we have to fight it like we'd fight any war. And you know, there you are doing the right thing by you know by by your whole country. Um, and and when you think that way again, and this is based purely through this is this is government propaganda. This is the media, and people fell for it. They 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 took it hook, line, and sinker. But when you've got that kind of mindset going on, then here's the thing, Tim. If you really think that that getting vaccinated, staying home makes you righteous, it makes you a fighter, it makes you so someone in the ANZAC tradition, then what do you start thinking about those who say, well, you know something, uh, A, I don't take vaccinations I don't need. Uh, you know. B, I'm a bit hesitant about these vaccinations. They were brought out pretty quickly, and I'm seeing other people have side effects, so I think I'll pass. And by the way, is this lockdown really necessary? I mean, wouldn't it be better to target sort of have ta- more targeted lockdowns for those who we know are probably going to wind up in hospital. Uh, if you're the person who started asking those kinds of questions, then you are in a sense questioning the whole foundation of a lot of people's sense of, of righteousness and sense of worth. And so boy, did they get nasty. And people who questioned the narrative were basically treated the same way that people were treated during World War I who questioned the war effort. They were socially maligned. Uh, they were excluded. Uh, sometimes they are imprisoned in fact um so yeah history repeats itself as, as i well yeah if it doesn't repeat it rhymes as the old saying goes
1: and uh, what as uh, you mentioned that uh, this this type of uh orchestration and and hatred of dissenters it's uh, it's been around uh, well uh, for most of uh, humanity but the, the current what I basically call it meanness and uh, also sadism uh, when it like for example forcing masks on on young children for example that's one of the most disgusting things that is still going on here in uh, Victoria uh, as well uh, you're you're on Twitter and you would know who the the Twitter drips are they are uh the they are the uh hardcore they're mainly labor uh shills uh, they're not necessarily green uh, uh, green shills but they in inter- turn like they're the the most tribal that uh anyone who is is not on their side they they feel the right to to, de- uh, to demonize and and basically when i say bully uh just be- like is how a schoolyard bully used to be like oh you know you're funny looking with that uh oh I, I look at your pro- profile pic like there's this in terms of like they believe they're pursuing rightness righteousness there's basically the, uh, there's been this uh, uh, this huge uh, uh meanness and uh, and and bas- basically it is it's it's as long as uh, as long as they're campaigning for their side, then any any form of uh, of uh, persecution, because they dox people, try to get people fired, it's it, it's quite something nasty to behold.
0: Well, this is the thing, Tim. Uh, those who are critical of the of the. The uh, mainstream narrative, people like me, like you and and many others, we weren't trying to force anyone to do anything. Um, I was always happy for people to get vaccinated who wanted to get vaccinated. I was always happy for people who wanted to stay home because they felt unsafe or were unsafe to be able to stay home. I was always okay with that. And I never criticized anyone for choosing to get vaccinated or choosing to wear a mask or anything like that. And most of the people that I know uh, on on sort of my side of this debate are exactly the same. They actually really don't care whether other people want to get vaccinated or not. Uh, We were critical of them, not for something that they were doing, but for a position that that they were taking on what we were allowed to do. So they wanted us to be forced to get vaccinated. They wanted everyone, including us, to be forced to stay home, to have to get vaccinated to keep our jobs and things like, to not be able to go interstate. Um, so the, the great difference between, I don't like to use this expression, but the two sides is that you know one side was basically saying what the other side had to do on pain of losing their freedom of movement, losing their right to work and therefore to be able to support their families, to be able to keep their houses and things like that. Whereas the other side was basically just saying, look, just leave us alone. Um, You know, uh, the, the, you know, the data that you guys are basing a whole lot of your coercive policies on is very dubious. All we want is for you to leave us alone. You guys go in peace, God bless, just leave us alone. That was a big difference between the two sides.
1: But what I also noticed as well eh, with the I, – I use the, the Twitter drips as an example because they were the personification of this, this new, mean, nasty, hateful, totalitarian – cheerleaders is that they even went after people who were just uh, or, or journalists who are just, uh, doing what journalists, uh, should always do, which is, uh, they asked tough questions of political leaders. Like they went after Lee Sales of 7:30. I mean, they say the most violent, uh, disgusting things about her on social media. They, another ABC journalist, Lisa Miller, host of uh, ABC News Breakfast, she actually deleted her Twitter account. And their their new obsession is. Uh, the uh, the the editor of uh, Six News Australia, fourteen-year-old boy wonder Leo uh, Pazolsi. I mean, they've gone after what is it? Uh, threatened to to go to his school, try to get him uh, expelled because they don't like his fact checks.
0: That's terrible. I mean, I, I mean, this is something that we've been talking about for years and years. I mean, I guess some some people might call it something like cancel culture. But yeah, no doubt there is a a, a kind of of, of nastiness um, about. Um, was this is this nastiness new? I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm 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 the kind of guy that doesn't like to think that humans have necessarily gotten any better or worse with time. Um, I prefer to think in terms of our our social situations changing and when that happens it can sometimes bring out the better in us the sort of the better the the better angel, angels of our nature and then on other times when social situations change that can bring out the worse aspects of our nature and i'm not making some kind of social deterministic argument or anything like that i'm just i'm just instinctively skeptical Um, about notions to the effect that um, we're kind of worse now than what we were 30 or 40 years ago. What has changed, Tim? And and, and one thing that I think has actually led more than anything else uh, to cancel culture, well, probably two things, but one thing is just, information technology and social media that in actual fact we have the ability now if someone says something that that we don't like or that a group of people don't like you know 30 years ago you'd sort of think to yourself I really hate that person gee I wish I wish I could do something to them but there's really nothing you can do Uh, whereas now we still have that same impulse to want to hurt people uh, that we don't like but now we've got the tools to do it. We've got social media. So you can whip up uh, a campaign against someone very easily and 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 try and often successfully to destroy their, their lives. And, 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 and not that my life was destroyed, far from it. But in in uh, I don't often talk about this, but we're on the topic. But uh, what year was it now? It was in 2017, I think, uh, a, a, a gay activist in Melbourne tweeted a tweet about me uh, basically tweeting it to my employer at the time Macquarie University and his, his exact words were something like hey Macquarie University it's a bad look having Steve Shavura on your payroll when you're supposed to stand for diversity and yet Steve Shavura uh, works for this Christian organization the Lachlan Macquarie Institute which is against diversity so this is a guy basically saying to my employer publicly why is this guy on your payroll uh, What's the deal with that? Um, and that was actually quite a minor incident in the whole same-sex marriage campaign. But the point is, we've got the technology now to generate virtual mobs that can go and approach people's employers, um, can, can can approach, can approach um, um, consumers to destroy... Uh, Companies to destroy individuals, not because they've done anything mean to anyone, uh, not because they've done anything illegal, not because they've hurt anyone, but because they've said something which, to our modern mindset, even the way we think nowadays, is called, you know, they said something that people would sort of now call harmful. Um, so you know, what has changed? Are we nastier now? Well, I, I prefer to say we've got the technology now for our sort of native nastiness to really express itself in a way that's with with, with effects de- much more devastating today than they could have done, you know, 30 years ago. And you know something, Tim, it could be a bit of a dialectic going on. Maybe we our native sort of nastiness led us to sort of start doing this cancel culture thing through modern technology, but the whole process of canceling people has in turn Maybe it's made us in some ways nastier. We've just gotten more used to it and we just think it's okay now to try and destroy people who say things that we deem to be, uh, unacceptable. So yeah, the, the first explanation would be technology, but the second explanation I would put down to things like ideology, um, again, sort of that this sort of cultural Marxist way of thinking, which turns society into oppressors and to victims and, uh, that's a really, really um, dangerous way to think about how society operates. We saw it explode onto, we saw it explode into the streets in 2020 with the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and riots. But the other way, the other thing that's that's really taken hold of people's minds nowadays is to think of when someone says something that really makes you upset, not to think of it in terms of you've offended me, but to think of it in terms of you've said something harmful. So it, it kind of used to be you've offended me Then it kind of became, oh, you've you've uttered hate speech. You said something hateful. But now it's actually evolved a bit more and it's now You have said something harmful. You have harmed me. And to harm someone, by definition, is a sort of violation of their rights. And when our rights are violated, naturally we go to the government and get the government to try and punish that person or to bring about new laws which stop those rights violations from taking place again. And that's what's happening in Australia and all around the world with anti-free speech laws, anti-religious freedom laws. So there's some of the things that are are happening uh, which are sort of leading people to actually uh, try to silence others, to destroy other people's careers, sort of modern technology, cultural Marxism and critical theory taking hold in in society, sort of spilling out of the university campuses. And and, and thirdly, sort of this therapeutic society mindset that we have, that I have a right to be happy. Therefore, anyone that says something that makes me unhappy is a violation of my rights. Therefore, I have the right to deploy the state against them.
1: And... uh this is probably why uh, uh, uh politicians who like to gain and exercise uh, uh deep government control like dan andrews uh, they they enter politics in the in the first place because the the, the in uh Especially in the the social media age, if there's a social ill, uh, there then the, the best thing is to have a law against it. It doesn't it, it doesn't matter if uh, there's already social norms uh, against it, and the marketplace of ideas uh, pushes uh, pushes that idea out. I'm going to use a, a an example which is well, uh, from. Uh, uh, Probably from left field, but I remember when uh, a lot of Australians were quite appalled when Tom Waterhouse, the the gambling uh, the, the 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 gambling bookie uh, runs runs his own business, started doing uh li- well basically live adverts through his uh, gambling company in there the NRL coverage itself, and Channel Nine got such a a backlash that they stopped doing it uh, because it was annoying their viewers, but. The the government at the time, uh, Julia Gillard, Prime Minister, of Communication Minister Stephen Conroy, got on their high horse and said, "We're going to outlaw these because Australians are sick as it is." And they, it, uh, it the, it was it, it wasn't enough for Channel Nine to basically say, "Yeah, we're not going to do it anymore." there must be a law, and that's that's basically the precedent of our of our current uh, 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 current public policy that. And often laws uh, make it worse.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you you talk about sort of these sort of social norms that Australia has. Um, Do we? I mean, what are our social norms here in Australia? Um, I suppose there are are some social norms, but um, I don't know that we're a society with particularly thick uh, social bonds and social norms anymore. Maybe that was true. 50 or 60 years ago, I I don't know how true it is today, to be honest. Um, And so, and that in itself could actually be an explanation for a multiplicity of laws in Australia, particularly over the last um, 45 years, because maybe as social norms start to break down, you just can't rely on social norms and social conventions and social pressure uh, to get people to either do the right thing. Um, yeah. to may, Maybe to do the right thing. Um, and therefore you kind of have to rely on the coercive power of the state um, or something along the lines of, you know, with, with sort of the breakdown of, of a common sort of set of social norms. What are you left with? Well, you're sort of left with a plurality of, of norms, a plurality of ways of of thinking about things like marriage, sexuality, how the races ought to relate to one another, um, the 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 identity of Australia. Are, are, you know, are, are we is our identity multiculturalism or is it something else? Is it a, a sort of a fracturing and division along all those lines? Then you're never really going to convince all the other Australians to th- see things your way. That- that's probably not going to happen. We're too divided. So you're not going to get laws that you like uh, by convincing Australians that this is the right way to do things. So or let me put it another way, sorry. You're not going to get Australians to start behaving the way you want them to behave uh, simply by trying to persuade them because we're sort of too deeply and widely divided at the moral, philosophical, religious level. So how do you get Australians to toe the line if if you're the kind of person that needs to see everyone else behaving the way you want them to behave? Well, in the absence of thick social bonds and thick social norms, what do you do? You use the government to do it. And you lobby MPs or you get into politics yourself and you make laws and impose these norms on on Australians over time. So I I don't know that I'm I don't know that I believe that we do have pretty strong social norms here in Australia. Uh, Frankly, you know, we can say things Oh, you know, mateship. um, We're not fanatical about things like the Americans. We like our liberties uh, we, we're egalitarian. Well, I, I think all of that was blown out of the water by the last two years of how we've dealt with COVID. Mateship? You've got to be kidding. Uh, I don't think so. Um, uh, certainly not in Victoria and um, Western Australia at the moment, and certainly not in workplaces where people were basically prepared to see their colleagues whom they work with for years, even decades, sacked because they didn't want to take a vaccine. Mateship? I don't think so. Uh, freedom? That's a joke um minorities of the population locked out of civil society for for years years uh for, you know, according to mark mcgowan you know, indefinitely so i mean no i i guess i don't really see that in australia um but maybe it'll come back and, and and then the question is can it come back basically without a war and um that's a tough one to answer there are two ways that maybe it can come back
1: one is a a, a revival of christianity and the we had uh, the uh, idea proposition of of personal responsibility uh, uh, when Dom Perrottet first got rid of uh, masks in, in uh, uh, mid December. Kerry Chant said where we encourage people to still wear masks and we're asking people to take personal responsibility. Uh, again, I was going off by social media reaction. It's like, oh, you you can't expect uh, people to do that. They need to be you know told. You need to. Mandated uh, people need to uh, 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 people need to comply, uh, and this is uh, this is a another aspect of the 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 COVID uh, various uh, COVID uh, rules and the continuing vax mandates. It's not actually based on medicine or science anymore. It's just based on we want to punish those who do not comply and uh, make them eventually yield?
0: Well, it is about punishment, and it always has been. Um, And and it's also about turning people against one another. And and, and so the classic example, and you brought it up earlier, Tim, was locking up double vaccinated people uh, until uh, the, the unvaccinated got vaccinated. Again, it was a policy that simply made no sense. Again, the unvaccinated were, by definition, the safe ones. They could go out. They weren't going to spread it. This was according to what the experts were saying at the time. They wouldn't spread it. They wouldn't catch it. And therefore, those people uh, intermingling with one another and going about their daily lives, they're not going to overf- overflow the hospital system. But, of course, they were kept locked up until, you know, we reached sort of the 80% and that kind of thing. And, and again... Um, That was a punitive measure against those who didn't want to take the vaccine or were sort of umming and ahhing about it, and what it managed to do was basically turn Australians against one another. Uh, So it was actually a pretty clever thing to do, and and it basically uh, worked. Um, And again, it sort of pulled off what I think is the thin veneer of a lot of Australian mateship. Let Let me tell you where you would find the greatest expression of Aussie mateship uh, that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, admittedly, of, of course, you're going to find it much more strongly expressed if you go to war or something like that. I'm not denying that. But when I was at the Canberra Freedom Camp uh, recently with my my wife, and when I went to the Freedom March uh, a few Saturdays back, but especially being at that camp, that was that was just a, a sense. The incredible thing about being at that camp was, as I really felt like the australia that australians like to brag about that exists that it i saw that it really does exist still i was worried that it had died but it actually still exists and it was among the people at that freedom camp that was an incredible thing to be a part of
1: i found that at uh, occupy spring street uh, back uh uh in november last year uh trying to stop the uh pandemic management bill uh you could just have a talk to to anyone and a a complete stranger and you could share your experience and i there was it it was its own uh, uh community like people uh, anonymous people just what is it ordered and dropped off like pizzas and and brought coffees and donuts or whatever there was uh, or brought uh water it was it was quite inspiring and well <laughs> I know that the standards are low these days, uh, but you know Dan Andrews didn't uh, uh, demolish it like Justin Trudeau did the uh, the truckers' uh, convoy mm-hmm. uh, recently. But that's as you call it mateship. Um, there's it, 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 there's still a lot of it uh, lacking in the the current uh, uh, floods. Uh, response uh, because the the attitude, especially of the media and social media classes, like, oh, like, how, like, why isn't the government, the, the ADF, there to rescue people? Oh, neighbors have to help each other out. What well, it's, and, and it's, it's again that government, ha- uh, uh, government has to be the, the big. Uh, brother, the 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 father, that it's seen as bad that uh, there's this uh, there has to be this immediate uh, community response. Uh, uh, but and then you have but these these sorts of people complaining about that uh, they're not they they're not the one, uh, they don't they're not the ones volunteering themselves. And what is it you had? Because Scott Morrison's been there the the past two days. He got out of COVID isolation there's climate protesters there in the disaster zone thinking that if uh, like if we protest for co2 emissions to be reduced in australia uh that's uh, going to achieve more than uh, uh than helping the the actual victims of the uh, uh, of the flooding and people who are displaced
0: yeah well actually that that in terms of what the next big crisis is going to be, unless there's some other virus strain that um, sort of uh, comes out and it's puffed up by the media and, and that sort of thing, um, then the next big thing, yeah, it will be the, the so-called climate crisis. And, yeah, certainly people will sort of, um, uh, uh, c- certainly some members of parliament, and Adam Bant would be one of them, um, but you'll find, again, government technocrats uh, and, frankly, you know, uh, globalists uh they will try and use this again to restrict uh people's behavior to restrict what we can do um in order to control our um carbon emissions and that and that kind of thing and the danger the the, the, one of the problems tim is that every, every problem nowadays is just being now called an emergency or a crisis yeah so you know, when Black Lives Matter was taking, was taking off, it was called a kind of, uh, we've got a racism epidemic, a racism crisis. Um, uh, you know, it's a race emergency. Um, and then, of course, with COVID, uh, that was sort of the big crisis. And everyone and people are talking about a climate crisis and a climate emergency. And the problem is that when, when you replace the word problem, uh, with the word emergency, then in an emergency, by definition, you have to act fast and you can't take the kind of time that you would normally take for public deliberation. And it also very often justifies the uh, a lot of power giving being given to a, yes. a, a single person, say a Dan Andrews or a single cabinet, which is basically unaccountable to the people. Historically, that is how emergencies have tended to be dealt with in authoritarian ways. And so there is a real problem in our political language. We're just sliding into the vocabulary of emergency all the time, and people want to be very, very careful about that because that's the best way to justify authoritarian uh, and c- highly coercive and, uh, and invasive um, um, um uh, policies uh, into our lives um usually uh on the grounds of some kind of ideological utopian vision and that's where we're heading into um so this whole the whole COVID fight that we've been part of it doesn't end now the next one will be uh something to do with the climate and frankly goodness knows what the next one might be in five or ten years we just don't know uh, but this is going to be, you know, the new normal is going to be lurching from one emergency to another and having basically uh, to stave off the tyrannical impulses of utopian members of parliament, utopian technocrats, uh, ideologues trying to intervene in our lives uh, to sort of save the world.
1: Uh, we've we've had scott morrison so i think uh, i i don't know why he keeps doing this to try and complicate the, the media who always criticizes him uh, declaring the floods a, a national emergency it's basically just uh, smashing a fire hydrant and not doing anything with it to look like you're you're doing something but uh, you're right that when i hear national emergency i i immediately think more of our rights are, are going to be stripped but Obviously, the media has a lot of influence about uh, uh, promoting the what, uh, what is going to be deemed the, the next uh, crisis, and they seem to be uh, uh, not sure about. Uh, they're, they're trying different ones at the moment. I mentioned before that Jap- Japanese encephalitis, uh, uh, but the thing about that, it's buried in in the, the clickbait stories. It can't be transmitted human to humans, but. Apparently, the reason it's so far south down here is because climate change. But uh, what is that? Uh, Brad Hazard today said oh, spiking cases is due to what is that? Uh, the son of Omicron, the, the BA2. And him being the, uh, the grumpy old ex-school teacher that he is said people are being... Uh, complacent but apparently what is it there's a in Hong Kong there's a, what is it? Uh, BA 2.2 I'm not sure if it's the the grandson of of Omicron but the media have gone try tried a few clickbait articles with that as well and obviously I uh, the the past two weeks the the, the big uh, new uh, crisis uh, emergency Uh, that uh, they've been uh, covering is the the uh, Russia-Ukraine war conflict uh, which is as you've said on your uh, socials it's much more complicated than what it's being portrayed in the mainstream media that Putin has just gone evil and crazy and has invaded Ukraine, and you mentioned cancel culture. I've been talking about how essentially uh, governments and the the woke corporations now have cancelled a country uh, with all of these corporations now ceasing operations in in Russia. Was the latest McDonald's, KFC, Starbucks?
0: Yeah, I think um, a couple of porn websites as well. Uh, so people are saying that probably Russians over the next uh, year will be the healthiest, most socially uh, well-adjusted people in the world with all, with all these uh, embargoes on them. Um, yeah, no, no, I mean, the, the point that I've been making, I, mean, look, I, I, I made a post about the, the, the war in Ukraine really as a response to something that happened on the ABC a week ago when a young uh, Russian-Australian, Uh, basically made a statement uh, in uh, Q&A on the ABC to the effect that he supports what Putin is doing and that this conflict is far more complicated than what the mainstream media is saying. And I think he even alluded to Ukrainians themselves being uh, killed by their own government over the last uh, sort of four years, which is actually true. Uh, and Stan Grant really sort of got spooked by that and we don't know if there was some producer whispering in his ear after yes. all saying get this guy out of here but as you know Tim uh Stan Grant basically kicked him out he basically said you have to leave this studio we've got Ukrainians here you've you, what you've said is unacceptable and and that really that really bugged me um because you know every pretty much every war is going is going to have two sides to the story, which doesn't mean that both sides are right. And it doesn't mean that the preponderance of of right doesn't lie on one side rather than the other. But there are going to be two sides to every story. And if we're going to truly understand uh, the reason a war is happening, and that's a pretty important thing to understand when there's a war on what caused it, if we're going to understand it, then you have to listen to people who have sympathies on both sides, because you can't always trust one side to accurately represent the the um, or accurately express the interests of the other side and sort of, you know, vice versa. And so it is actually quite valuable to have people who are on a particular side that might not be the most popular side expressing why they think their side is right. And that's what this young man uh, was trying to do, at least. And so I wrote a post basically saying that this war is not just a case of Putin getting up on the wrong side, the bed one day or Putin just simply being hell-bent on conquering uh, the Slavic world and maybe eventually taking over more of Europe. Uh, I said it was more complex than that. And I just pointed out that you know since the end of the Cold War, uh, NATO and, and U.S. influence have, have been creeping closer and closer to Russia, uh, right up actually to Russia's borders. Uh, since uh, 19 uh, uh, since 2004 with the uh, 2004 uh, expansion of NATO uh, uh, into um, the um, uh, into the Baltic states and I was just pointing out that 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 Putin had a a legitimate security concern that you know if you really just want to understand what happened you can you can you can you could sort of understand why Putin would be pretty worried with NATO countries being at his borders, armed by NATO and by definition, basically enemies of Russia. I wasn't trying to suggest that Putin had a right to invade Ukraine. In fact, um, that's not my position at all. And in actual fact, if you want my position on this war and you haven't really asked for it, but when I think about the broader context of this war, um, To quote one uh, U.S. professor, uh, the war between Russia and Ukraine right now in the short term is really about Russia and the Ukraine. But in the long term, it's actually really going to be about China and Taiwan and and, and the rise of China in the Asia region in general. And so I actually don't want to see uh, Putin uh, have some kind of glorious victory here. No, no. not because I necessarily buy into the mainstream narrative of, about what's going on, but this is bigger than just Russia and Ukraine. Uh, this is something that China is watching very carefully, and China will, will conclude that if basically Putin is allowed to do what he's doing, China will conclude, and, and it saw what happened in Afghanistan recently with America's pathetic withdrawal, China will basically conclude America doesn't want to fight wars anymore. We can move into Taiwan. And once we've done that, let's, um, but yeah, indeed um, you know, this war, it, it, it is a complex war. And uh, even people like some, some excellent, excellent commentators who who are not what you would call pro-Russian, even they are saying that this war was unnecessary and you cannot explain it without referring to some, some unnecessary, um, ex- uh, provocation and expansion by NATO after the Cold War. I mean, there's much more to it than that, but that's really all I was pointing out. Um,
1: and also, yeah, then, and, and, and the 2014 uh, uh, coup d'etat against the, the pro Russian Ukrainian president, which was called the the Euro maiden, uh revolution, and since then, there's been pro. EU, NATO-sympathetic uh, Ukrainian presidents.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, Yanukovych, Yanukovych um, basically ousted in, in in a coup that we know the Americans knew was going to happen 18 days beforehand because there's YouTube videos, uh, well, YouTube sort of audios of the... At, at the time, I think she was the assistant to the Secretary of State, but um, Victoria uh, Newman, uh, Victoria, sorry, Victoria Newland, on the phone, basically intimating that something was going to happen, and, and and certainly it was it was American supported, and of course yeah, Yanukovych was toppled uh, by the by the people with the support of America, and uh, yeah, replaced with a pro Western government, um, but but things have just not exactly gone swimmingly for Ukraine since then. There's practically been a kind of civil war. Uh, going on because Ukraine is, is, is quite a deeply divided country. It's got it's 17. It's it's a bit over 17% uh, Russians and they would like a closer relationship to Russia. So, you know, it's, unfortunately it's, it's quite a divided society, but also it's legendarily corrupt. It is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. I think it might even be in terms of the, like so maybe the the uh, fourth most corrupt country in the world. It's incredibly corrupt, and it's been uh, completely corrupt under um, uh, Zelensky as well. Uh, Zelensky's popularity rating before this war was 25%. He had a 25% popularity rating, uh, according to Stephen Kotkin, a uh, historian and commentator on this from Princeton University. Uh, now his his approval rating is is 90%. But when you're, when you're uh, president has a 25% approval rating among your people, um, that is a country that's not doing well. You, you know that there are problems. And as Peter Hitchens pointed out recently, uh, some of Zelensky's political opponents are in prison. He's imprisoned and shut, he's shut down um, oppo- opposition media organizations, imprisoned journalists. You know, you know, Ukraine is not sort of the liberal democracy that a lot of people are painting it to be. Having said that, though, and there are some other, some other skullduggery going on as well. I mean, uh, we, we've just learned that the same lady, um, uh, Victoria uh, Newland, um, uh, she's uh, currently the Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs in the US. Well, she just in a, in a Senate, Senate hearing <laughs> just uh, uh, admitted to Marco Rubio that, in fact, the Ukraine has biowarfare labs in that country. And she's known about it for years. And uh, are they American funded? Um, I think they probably are. Just like we know that the Americans were funding gain of research, uh, gain of function research in China. So there is a whole lot of weird stuff taking place in Ukraine, and it's been taking place there for a long time. And so this idea that um, this is just a sort of very simple case of a man just wanting to take over a country for his own glory Um, that's far too simplistic and, and America's hands are not entirely clean in all of this. Um, again, which is not to say, uh, that I think that, that I want Russia to sort of, Uh, again, for the bigger global reasons I spoke about, I, I actually don't.
1: I mean, I'm a libertarian, so I'm naturally anti-war. It's terrible that innocent civilians are being killed and and maimed, and obviously uh, both uh, militaries, uh, the the Ukrainian and and Russian, have uh, casualties on on both sides. But and, and this is uh, this feeds into what we were talking about before the 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 uh, the push to do something and you're seeing this even on networks on sky news like conservative commentators like chris kenny and andrew bolt we need to do something to stop the the bloodshed in in ukraine but uh, like that can potentially escalate the, the the conflict and also uh have a catastrophic even apocalyptic uh nuclear war uh, like there's all this talk about a f- no-fly zone over Ukraine, like it's some abstract thing. That means if a Russian jet goes across Ukraine, NATO uh, shoot it down, and that creates World War Three. If you think that uh, COVID and its variants are bad, then a, a nuclear holocaust and the, the radiation fallout, that is horrific, to put it mildly.
0: Yeah, and you know something, all you know, all commentators agree with that, and 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 you you use the term sort of nuclear warfare. We have to remember that not all nuclear uh, missiles are going to do what was done in you know Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki. They're not all like that. You have um, sort of subnuclear missiles, which are nuclear but not designed to create any a devastation anything like that but they are designed uh in in, in to, to to cause horrific damage nonetheless and basically putin uh quite recently basically said you know if if, if, if america or if the west intervenes that, that then this will escalate to consequences that you have never ever experienced before they are almost um um, uh, Putin's words, and that is a clear reference to nuclear nuclear warfare. And Putin is the kind of guy uh, to do something like that. Uh, does that mean that he would drop a, a, a the most powerful kind of nuclear bomb that he could think of uh, on New York City or in Washington? No, uh, but it does mean that uh, he might use one of the uh, sort of uh, lesser powerful uh, nuclear bombs uh, in Ukraine. Uh, I don't know, in, a, in, a, in another region, I'm not too sure, but it, that's exactly right. I mean, America is very, very hesitant to intervene in this, anything beyond, um, well, what it's been doing in the past, you know, providing weapons and, it's, and it has in the past trained Ukrainian mili- uh, uh, soldiers. Um, um, obviously, uh, weapons are going in uh, from, from Germany and things like that, but everyone is afraid of directly intervening um, yeah, because of of the threat of escalation, and and it's a problem with every war. Every war is kind of, you know, will this sort of just peter out? Will the Russians be defeated by the Ukrainians? Will the Russians kind of naturally run out of steam as they run out of manpower? We've got to remember one thing that's against the it's against the Russians is that uh, Ukraine's borders, or at least its um its western border, its borders are, are open enough for People to be coming from around Europe to come in and join the Ukrainians and fight the Russians. Yes. Ukraine has, uh, Russia has not managed to close off Ukraine's borders. And so there's potentially a large supply of soldiers against uh, the Russians, who I think, who, whose army has about 200,000 or something like that. Uh, so, you know, th- there are some disadvantages. But what seems to be the case, actually, is that Russia seems to be steadily advancing. Uh, one fellow who I listen to, who I find very insightful, is a guy named Gray Connolly. And he does fairly regular um, presentations on Twitter, But great Connolly, an Aussie guy. He's, he's very insightful when it comes to uh, operations in wars. And he's basically pointed out today, you know, we hear a lot of triumphalistic uh, talk about how Ukraine is smashing the Russians, how bad the Russians are doing and that kind of thing. But he said, when you look at the best war maps, which are basically changing in real time, when you look at the best of them, you see that overall Russia is, is closing in and it's basically squeezing Ukraine. And so we don't know exactly how this is going to end. Uh, this is really early on in the conflict as well. This conflict could go for months. We just don't know.
1: And it's also been uh, commented that uh, Putin's invasion seems soft early on because he was trying to mis- minimise uh, casualties, but obviously has uh, ratcheted up is uh, military's capabilities, and that's why you're seeing much more uh, bloodshed and 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 bombs and uh, civilians uh, dying. Um, I know that we've gone uh, quite over time, yeah. I said, around about an hour, but uh, I just want to uh, f- uh, f- uh, finish on. Uh, I know that it's uh, an important question. Uh, can I call it a crusade of yours, uh, defending uh, religious freedom. And we had basically the watched Religious uh, Discrimination Act in the the last uh, sitting week uh, of Parliament. There's one more week until the the federal election. And it seemed to be the way, why it died is because it was, well, it was a Religious Discrimination Act and we already have all these other uh, discrimination, uh, discrimination acts. And so the, in the end, the politicians couldn't agree about uh, a, which, how they interact with each other, which type of discrimination is worse or more, more worthy uh, of uh, protection. And I'd be interested in your perspective on the, the final uh, bill, which eventually got uh, withdrawn.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of the final bill. It, it took out too many important um, uh, rights uh, that are really crucial for religious liberty. For example, the what was called the Israel Falou clause was taken out, and that means basically uh, people can contact your employer. Or your employer, who comes into contact with your social media posts, uh, has the right to terminate your contract uh, if you post something on social media. Uh, that is sort of deemed too controversial or something like that. Um, you know, p- p- yeah. Part of the problem, as you said, Tim, is that we're conceptualising religious liberty too much in Australia as simply exemptions to discrimination laws. And when we when we conceptualise religion. Freedom is simply, oh, you can be exempt from these discrimination laws. So you can hire people based on religion, you can fire people based on lifestyle or religion and that kind of thing. I mean, it's more complex than that, I know. Then the, the, that kind of sends a message to people that, oh, um, churches and religious schools and religious individuals. Um, they want to play by their own rules. They don't want to play by the same rules as everyone else. They want exemptions to these these anti-discrimination laws. And and why would you want exemption from anti-discrimination anyway? Everyone knows discrimination is wrong. Everyone knows you shouldn't discriminate. Of course, it's a completely misleading and utterly superficial way to to understand the nature of religious freedom and also the nature of discrimination. I mean, everyone discriminates you know, I mean, for for example, you know, you have the right, Tim, to say to someone who asks to be on your show, you have the right just to say, no, I don't want you on my show, because ideologically, uh, our views don't align. And I'm, I'm trying to educate people f- from a particular point of view, and you're just not going to do that for me. So rack off. Now you have you have discriminated. But you, what you haven't done is what you've done is not wrong. You had the right to do it because it, it sort of It it, it, um, maintains the integrity of what you are doing in the same way that schools that have a particular religious ethos, in order to maintain the integrity of that institution, of that practice, well, of course, they need to have a strong say in the kinds of people who are employed there to teach, and I would actually also add a strong, um, a strong say uh, even over the students who are allowed in to learn. If you have a student who is systemically and vocally trying to undermine the ethos ethos of the school, particularly to other students, that is something that is undermining the very purpose of that institution. And unless we're going to say that we shouldn't have religious schools and churches and only a, a very sort of fringe secularist would say that, then we basically have to admit that schools and churches and religious institutions and other sorts of institutions too, whether it's political institutions, ideological, philosophical institutions, they have to have the right to impose the kinds of rules that will allow their institution to survive and that of course means controlling who is a member of it and when we understand religious liberty like that then it becomes far more plausible but the way we've just spoken about it in Australia is basically oh, just religious institutions should be exempt from discrimination laws in these and to the average Australian that just says they want to play by their own rules they want to discriminate. That's bad. And so that's part of the problem uh, with what's happened. Um, I, I'm sort of getting to the point where I'm starting to think the only thing that, that might look at unless there's there's some really serious um, lobbying and political maneuvering, you know, maybe a serious loss at the next federal election for the liberals. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm, that might teach them that actually enough Australians value religious liberty that that can be a real damaging blow to you if if you don't honour it. Um, then I'm starting to think it, it might be time just for, for for schools to sort of do similar things to what um, I think the, the Catholic Bishop of Goulburn did in the mid 1960s, which was basically or was it 1963? basically closed down the local Catholic school because it wasn't getting the funding that it needed to repair a toilet block, closed down the Catholic school, marched all the students to the local public school and said, they're yours deal with them. Of course, the local public school couldn't, couldn't cope. And that was one of the things that led to a revolution in funding, bringing back funding to uh, 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 independent denominational schools in Australia after about 80 years, uh, 90 years of not getting them. So, maybe some sort of action like that among sort of uh, uh, private schools just to, to to show Australians to show politicians what happens when you don't honor the institutional integrity of these very very valuable institutions uh, in our laws something like that maybe could be um, the, the, the next option I
1: and uh, because uh, Robert Menzies, the Prime Minister at the time, uh, championed uh, the the rights of these uh, independent Catholic schools, he won the the 1963 uh, election. And I know you've studied uh, his uh, philosophy and, and government extensively. One of your books is "The Forgotten Menzies," uh, who well, he was the founder of the the Liberal Party. Um, You've probably been asked uh, multiple times what he'd make of the the current mob, and like you supposedly have a very religious Liberal Prime Minister, very religious New South Wales Liberal Premier, yet uh, there is this lack of conviction on what used to be core Australian values, or the core one of the core values of the Liberal Party.
0: Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't think there can be any doubt that that Menzies would be uh would look aghast at, at the current Liberal Party, um, particularly in terms of, sort of just it, it's seeming sort of just ambivalence about about, I suppose, liberties that that Menzies would really have championed. I mean, he gave a whole speech on freedom of religion in his very famous Forgotten People speeches Um you know, so I, I think he, he would be very um, disappointed in the factions in the Liberal Party. But look, to be honest, like, you know, I, I think you know the Liberal Party in many ways reflects a lot of the problems in Australia at large. That um, you know, what what is the identity of Australia? What you know, what is our our core? What are our core sort of moral convictions? Um, I, I don't know that we've got these in any kind of deep sense anymore, and so it shouldn't be surprising that that that, that sort of starts manifesting in political parties fracturing, um, re- sort of in some ways um, uh, reflecting sort of Australia more in general. Although I will say I do think that Australians, I do think Australians are instinctively conservative, um, in, in the sense. they don't like they they tend not to like radical change uh they tend not to like ideological enthusiasm uh and they i I think historically they haven't particularly liked a, a, a sort of over regulation of other people's beliefs and speech so i'm reminded for example that menzies tried to actually have the communist party banned and although it was a narrow loss that he had, he still did lose. Australians did vote against it. Um, so you know, I, I think you know Menzies would not just be a bit disappointed with the Liberal Party. I think actually he'd be disappointed with Australians as well. I think he would he'd be he'd be wondering sort of like what do you guys um, what do you guys what are you living? up to at the moment i mean what, what do you guys value if you like uh what, what are the what, what would you die for um uh, what would you you know uh what are you prepared to sacrifice uh and i think he would now now i mean we've just come out of a period of two years of what you might call sacrifice and, in, a, and in all oh, honesty if you ask me what what menzies would think of the last two years in australia that's actually not i mean i i Well, it might not be as simple as we think. Um, I I suspect Menzies would have been very, very sceptical of the enthusiasm around the COVID narrative. This is the same Menzies that that saw through the Labour Party's attempts to socialise Australia by appealing to the emergency of World War II, to turn Australia socialistic even after World War II, keeping rations, keeping prices fixed, uh, nationalising industries, so I mean, I'm inclined to think that, that that Menzies would not have been enthusiastic about all the COVID restrictions because he knew very well that crises that, that crises can be declared but also used to usher in a whole bunch of other policies that a lot of people might have wanted to usher in to begin with, and they're taking advantage of a crisis to do it. So I would like to think that Menzies, I suppose, would have been, would have been on our side. But again, the serious historian in me also has to say, look... Uh, a different guy, different circumstances. Got to be careful about just co-opting him for our side. But yeah, uh,
1: you're right in the sense that uh, Australians are conservative and they don't they don't like radical uh, change to what they're, they're they're used to. That doesn't mean that they believe in conservative values, and that's probably what Morrison is banking on again in uh, the the May 2022 election because that's what got him over the line in 2019 they the voters in the end got spooked by uh bill shortens uh various uh tax hikes and his uh, uh climate policies and well albanese historically comes from the far left of the party they 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 you could labor still even though he's trying to play small small target strategy uh, when it comes to especially well uh, Australia's foreign policy to China with Penny Wong as the foreign minister and Christina Keneally as the Home Affairs Minister, you're going to get quite a radical uh, change if you elect an Albanese government.
0: Yeah um, I, I, I think on a lot of issues that that, that probably that probably is true. Um, I, I don't... I mean, you know, a, a lot of people are predicting a, a loss for the Liberals at the next election. Uh, look, that may well turn out to be the case. I, I don't think it's a fait accompli. And if no. there's one thing we've learned over the last six years is that you're you're a fool to, to predict an election result now. The, the fact of the matter is that the Australian economy has not yet at least been sort of decimated by our lockdowns no. um you know um you know i know that a lot of people are doing it tough but i think a lot of people would think well look overall the economy is is more than functioning and um what's wrong with the economy a lot of people will just say well that's not you can't really blame the prime minister for that that's covid and so you know there's a, there's a very good chance that a lot of people will basically say well, well better the devil you know I'll uh, vote the Liberals back in. I don't like ScoMo. A lot of people, I can't stand that guy. But, you know, the Liberal Party itself, um, I trust it. Um, So, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying the Liberals are going to get booted. Look, they might, but I don't think it's obvious that they will. Uh, What may well happen is that they come back, um, obviously, with a a reduced um, majority. Uh, Look, it wouldn't surprise me, frankly, if both major parties take a major shellacking uh, from a lot of Australians, uh, based on how uh, Austra- Australians were treated uh, during COVID, uh, I, I really, I really suspect that you're going to have a huge rise in votes for uh, minor parties in and independents. Uh, and you know, um, I'm, I'm actually hoping that that happens. To be honest, um, I, I, I'm not going to express an opinion. On sort of which major part, I mean, one of the major parties is going to win, I, I suppose. Uh, look, I, I suppose, yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's very, very complex because part of me, I'm, I'm a lifelong liberal voter, and or at least a liberal supporter. Um, oh goodness sakes! I wrote a book on, I co-wrote a book with the, the wonderful Greg Malewish on on the party's founder. So I don't hate the party. Well, you just you the um, Democrats as well. Part of me wants them to win. Well, I mean, part of part of me wants me to win. Wants them to win because I, I really don't want Labor to get in. But the other, there's another part of me that says, well, if they win, what message is that sending them? It's sending them that their softness on the importance of religious liberty, that sort of the sort of the the softness on the the question of border closures, mandates, passports, that all of that is rewarded at the next election will bring you back in. So part of me also thinks maybe the best thing for the Liberal Party is to lose an election or two. Although that's, that's not really my hope. So I'm just a bit torn on this. But what I would certainly like, I suppose, is for the Liberal Party to learn a lesson um, that actually changes them and brings them back to being a great party. And I would love to see more freedom, or I prefer the expression anti-tyranny uh, candidates uh, in the Senate, so that any laws that want to be passed by major parties uh, have to go past uh, anti-tyranny um members of the Senate. And, and hopefully, God willing, we can get rid of these mandates, because this is the other thing, Tim, you know, all states still still have workplace mandates, you still got nurses and teachers uh, not allowed to work in, in 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 most states not allowed to get and we need to fix that. That's really important. We got to fix that. And that's what I'm afraid about son of Omicron that son of Omicron, okay, it's not gonna, it might not lead to a lockdown, might not lead to a lot of things, but what it might lead, and it is actually already leading to this in Queensland, is just a ridiculously unnecessary extension of the emergency measures, which will probably keep uh, workers out of their trained jobs for another six months. And we, ju- we just can't, we ca- we can't tolerate that. It's ridiculous. My, my great passion in all of this has always been with people who lost their jobs. That has always been my big thing. Not the vaccines per se, but people losing their jobs because of the mandates. I just think that is
1: thoroughly unacceptable. And it didn't have to happen. Yes, exactly. I can hear a a, a, a child uh, uh, making a bit of noise in the background. So maybe that's the cue now to for us to wrap up. I've thoroughly no enjoyed... Uh, speaking with you, uh, uh Stephen, like I, I know I said, uh, probably go for an hour, but uh, what is that? There was, there, there's always just so much to discuss, and you're such a, a deep thinker, you've always got uh, you, a, insightful perspectives that uh, well, it makes me uh, respond and further the conversation with my own input. <laughs>
0: Thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I, you know, uh, feel free to ask me back if you like. I'd, I'd love to do that. But no, um, thank you very much.
1: And uh, if you want to uh, follow uh, Stephen's commentary, is on uh, Telegram. Is uh, on well the the Twitter cesspool that I mentioned. Uh, he also does uh, Instagram lives. Uh, I know that you you don't tend to wear this academic uniform on Instagram. You're often just in a singlet.
0: Yes, right, right. yeah, yeah. I, I, and i'm on tiktok too and facebook but yeah i i, I tend to after the gym when, when i'm at the gym i'm just thinking about something and an idea will come to me and i'll go and um just in the car park just do a quick video um yeah that's what i do
1: <laughs> i think joel jamal made that a trend to like do quick lives after a workout with a singlet on
0: yeah oh he's he's great I, I i'm a big fan of joel's uh, he does wonderful work uh he's been a real asset to this movement as well
1: i'll also i'll include the links to your socials and also to your recent chat with with joel uh if while well, it's up on youtube and also your uh conversation with uh uh john anderson as well and yeah thank you so much uh for for your time and yeah um yeah, love love, uh, uh, love, to continue the conversation so, uh, some at some point in the future. Thanks so
0: much, Tim. It's been an honour.
1: All right, everybody. That uh, concludes the Wilmsfront uh, featured interview program uh, for this week. Uh, there'll be no uh, Trad Tasman talk uh, tomorrow uh, because, again, uh, Douay and uh, Stephen and myself uh, have got other things going on. It could be... It might just end up being a a, a fortnightly show in the end. Uh, there's been a breaking news story tonight that uh, Labor Senator Kimberly Kitching uh, has uh, died of a sudden heart attack at age 52, uh, which is is quite shocking. Uh, obviously, it just comes after Shane Warne, uh, Australian cricket legend, died suddenly at the the age of 52 of a suspected heart attack and. Kimberly Kitching, she was one of the good uh, Labour uh, senators. Uh, she uh, she certainly uh, was uh, awake uh, to CCP influence and and espionage, and so she's a a, a tragic loss to uh, Australian uh, politics and well uh, for a a a. a, a sensible uh, Labour Party when it came to to foreign policy. So uh, please take care, everyone, uh, for the rest of uh, the week. I'll be back on Monday for Tim's News Explosion, hopefully back on YouTube by that time. I'll have to obviously watch what I say about... uh, uh, COVID and jabs and, and other matters. Uh, so I hope to see you back on YouTube on, on Monday. I probably won't continue on uh, Facebook Live, but I'll definitely continue on D Live and Odyssey Live because they continue to work. Alright. Take care everyone and good night. Thanks for
0: tuning in to Wilmsfront. Visit TimWilms.com or Rational Rise TV to view the archive of episodes and keep visiting the Unshackled.net to view all our shows and to keep up with the latest real news and analysis.